Hi, the whole you boys and girls out there in podcast land. Before we get to the show, I just want to give a quick shout out to Song Freedom, who's a show sponsor once again. When you need to find legal music to use in your productions, go to songfreedom.com slash radio to unlock your free standard go-level license for $30. We thank Song Freedom for their support. As usual, after the credits, there's a funny outtick you won't want to miss, especially if you're a fan of pop culture nostalgia. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Previously on Radio Film School. Like, I didn't understand weaves and stuff like that until I watched Good Hair with Chris Rock. And then I was like, wow, that's like really big part of the African-American community. And I, and I didn't understand that. It is Sunday, August 9th, 2015. And I am finally, finally on my way to pick up one of my crew members to shoot Mixed in America... Episode 1, Little Mixed Sunshine. This has been a film four years in the not-making. Uh, I'm sure at some point I will go into details of everything that held it up. But it's happening today. And as usual, not everything is going exactly how I was originally envisioning it. So I am going to be creative and come up with ways to do things that I originally was planning to do in a different way, but uh, I'm going to work with it. Those were clips from this past season on the show during our Shooting Sunshine segments. It was the segment of the show where we followed the making of Mixed in America, Little Mixed Sunshine. Well, I finally finished the film. Last week, we talked about the loftier existential issues of identity and race with respect to the film. Today, I want to share with you some very specific creative decisions and the lessons I learned from them. Show regulars JD and Yolanda Cochran are back, and they join me as they provide great feedback on what was a draft version of the film that I sent them back in March. By this point, I had everything edited based on the footage I shot last summer as B-roll. Now I was at a point where I had to make a decision about what to do with the remaining two minutes or so for which I had no recorded B-roll. And a huge reason for my problem was all based on a creative decision I had made over five years ago. The past is gone and the future's unknown. God give me freedom or nothing at all. Cause hello, I'm not coming back. My name is Ron Dawson and this is Radio Film School, a filmmaker's journey. And this is part two of the mini-series finale of Shooting Sunshine. Any filmmaker or artist would tell you that obstacles and challenges to the making of your art will more often than not enhance your creativity and sometimes yield even better results than you hoped for. I remember when I did the 48-hour film project a few years ago, and sci-fi was the theme we had. No one on our team had any visual effects experience, so we improvised by creating a dystopian future reminiscent of the minimal art direction and design of films like Mark Romanek's Never Let Me Go. 
The filmmakers behind the indie sci-fi hit Another Earth extolled the experiences they had making that film with such a small budget and how those challenges resulted in creative outcomes that enhanced the film. And the mechanical malfunction challenges of the making of Spielberg's Jaws are practically legendary. But what happens when a filmmaker creates self-imposed obstacles all for the name of art? All right. Well, uh, I have limited time today. I have about an hour, maybe a little bit more, so I want to get cracking. Let's, let's make it happen. I have to clean the house. An artistic decision that I had made at the time of like recording Imani's interview was to only record her audio. Like I didn't make it a video head and shoulder interview. At the time, I wanted to essentially force myself to create like artistic B-roll for the for the documentary. Like I didn't want it to be a straight regular head and shoulders documentary. I wanted it to be something that that almost felt like it was a scripted short film as opposed to a straight documentary. Um, and so I only did audio and that was going to force me to do, you know, creative um, B-roll. Now, had I been able to shoot it at the time that I recorded it back in 2011 when Imani was still 16 and I still had access to her friends uh, so I still had access to the school she was going to. I had this vision of how I was going to be able to do all these things, and I had the resources. If I had known that it was going to take me five years. <laughs> now that Imani's married and has kids of her own. Like... <laughs> For the record, she's not married. She's 21. She doesn't have kids. But had I known it was going to be five years before I actually got to doing this thing, and and had I known that I wasn't going to be in a position to necessarily have all these kind of resources at my disposal, I would have made a different decision. So one of my huge challenges in getting this thing done has been shooting the, the scenes that are going to represent, you know, the film. And so last summer was when I actually got to shoot the scenes that you guys mostly see in the video now, where I got the girl to play Imani as a little girl and got some of her friends and stuff like that. But even those scenes weren't enough to fill out everything. So that's been one of my challenges. Can we, can we talk about this whole section? Yeah, 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 that, yeah. That, that, I wanted, I well, go ahead. Did you finish? I didn't know. I thought he was finished. Well, no, no. Cause that, that has been, I, that's probably been the single most, um, uh, that's been the single most challenging aspect of this project. Not having the head and shoulders interview to go to. And funny, another couple that I sent it to, one of their comments was, oh, uh, that they wish they could see Imani talking about it. And so I'd first like to get your take on that decision. Like in general, you know, when a director makes that kind of creative decision, something that's kind of wild and out there. Like if you had been my producer at the time, JD, and I said, you know, I don't want to shoot a head and shoulder interview. I just want to record audio. Like what would have been your take? And now five years later, in retrospect, any of your thoughts? And you too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is exactly what I was going to talk about. I think it's great for your show because I would have told you get the video regardless because you don't, you're not forced to use the video. And I know you had this mm-hmm. mantra that you were, you know, or, or this uh, attitude that oh, I, I'm going to force myself to only stick with the audio. But 
I always in my life, I always try to give myself options, mm-hmm. whether it's filmmaking or whatever thing, task or chore, anything I'm trying to accomplish. Leave yourself with the options just to have them. And then you can if you don't really want to do it, if you're really serious about that and, and that's really an earnest decision, you'll you'll whittle out the video anyway. So I, right. I would have told you for sure, get the video. Because at the very least, it's your daughter. You have it for posterity, whatever. And you might not ever even use it for the film. But it's like, why limit yourself would right. be my question at the time. I would have been like, Ron, just get everything. Sure. And, and we'll see how the flow of the film is working. If you don't want to use it, cool. But, you know, you always have it in the back pocket if you want to use it. And then lo and behold, now you're, you know, it, it sounds like you kind of ruined the day that you, ruining the day that you yeah. didn't, you know, go on to capture it yeah no i am even i mean for no other reason than the point you just made like it was my daughter and how right. cool it would have been right. i mean hearing it hearing the just for her to look back at it she would have got a kick out of it i bet some you know some point maybe not now but some point right. down the line so, oh that look at me i was 16 or whatever you know at the, at the time right think of the children ron it's not <laughs> the children ron the children <laughs> is that from a movie no, we're no. just making that. Okay. Just freestyle, Ron. That's how we do. We freestyle <laughs> up in this. Uh, your comments, yeah? Or are you used to pretty much echo what JD says? Yeah, I agree, except for I would say, specific to the choice of not having the head and shoulder interview, there is something to that just came to my own mind about not seeing the person speaking because of the fact that we as human beings are so predisposed to assigning value and judgment to how a person appears. Mm -hmm. And so you automatically, I mean, you do that with people, you, you being the grand you, I should say we, is the minute you see a person, you automatically make evaluations about that person quickly and things that you assume that you know about them or that might be true about them. And then, of course, hopefully you're the kind of person who understands that you need to get to know that person and find out what they're really about. But I kind of like the idea of not seeing these people, particularly because the idea of you know biracial or multiracial, the issue that you're tackling can be so complex and and interwoven and inherent in it is, you know, all of those prejudices and things that we automatically assign to race and ethnicity. So not seeing the individual who's speaking, I think, can service a very specific audience reception to the piece for the record now the comment i made about getting options that's just because that's the editor in me i just love having all the pieces to the puzzle but i think the the piece that you showed me was fine i didn't have any problems with her not being in it right uh and i I agree with a lot of what yolanda said it does make an interesting choice I, i like what you have so far yeah i wasn't bothered by it no i mean i mean even taking into consideration what you know yo said if i had uh, recorded her in video it would not have precluded me from excluding her from the main film. Like that's right. Yep. I mean, in retrospect, now it's like, like I said, I'm kicking myself. Like there was no reason other than other than some strange creative artistic experiment to force myself. Sort of like you know the story of uh, the burning the ships when the I don't know was it the um, the conquistadors landed and the captains burned the ship so they can 
sail back to Spain. So they were forced to oh, stay. I, I never heard that story. I yeah, yeah. When the conquistadors landed in South America, the captains burnt the ships so that no one would – so to make it clear that they were not going back to Spain. And so me not filming the head and shoulder – not filming the video of her answering the questions was the equivalent of burning the ships. Um, and now right. five years later, I desperately need a ship. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, but you know, I, you right now, I, I, I hear what you're To the discussion of yeah. what – I think before we could even get particular about it, it's like I, I'm still unclear. Is, it, is this a series or is this just one, a one-off short? I believe that you want to make it a series. Yeah, uh, mix yeah. mix in America itself will be a series. That's the gotcha. idea. Gotcha. Um, okay. And so this being like the first one, and then the um the other girl I told you about, the other woman I told you about would be another one, and then you know, and in an ideal scenario, at some point in the future, I'd be you know the subject would be biracial celebrities like Halle Berry and um stuff like that. But mm-hmm. you know. It'll be a while before I get there, I think. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and if I never get there, it doesn't matter. Never I think there. Huh? You never know, man. You yeah. never know. True, but I don't think it needs to be celebrities. I mean, I think there are enough really no. intriguing. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're just talking about the whole the yeah. idea of the series. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's what I was getting to. Like when, because I, 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 I've always looked at this project as being kind of, a, I, I think from the get go, you told me it was going to be a series, which is why I started thinking, well, you know, you're talking about shots and all these things. I'm like, I don't almost care about that. I want to hear more. You know, I want to get – it's almost as if you can uh, make it as a podcast. You know, if you didn't have the video component to it and it's just an audio podcast. I had thought it, about that actually. It yeah. would be – yeah, it would be interesting just to hear it. But I loved – but because we're talking about race and, you know, you get into areas of like, you know, light-skinned blacks versus dark-skinned blacks or whatever it is or, you know, d- different shades – you know, of, of people or whatever, it's like you want to see the visual component to it. And I, I really like what you did. And I don't think you should, but I don't think you should, should belabor yourself in getting, you know, oh, I need the, I need the drone shot to come in and I need a Luma crane and man right. to shoot it, you know, and get it done almost as if you had a weekly podcast and you got a weekly newsreel that you got to get done, you know, and, and yeah. then you have the stuff, the footage and, and material to go with. Yeah. Do you need shots of ordinary people doing things for your next commercial? We got that B-roll. We got that B-roll. Two men pointing at an office file? We got that B-roll. Board man flipping through channels? We got that B-roll. Angry man in traffic? Yeah, we got that B-roll. Unfortunately, the We Got That B-roll guy was no help. If you haven't seen the We Got That B-roll sketch, treat yourself and hop on over to the blog post for this episode and check it out. It's hilarious. Kirk Gibson hitting a game-winning home run in the 88 World Series. No! That's too specific! That is not B-roll! In this segment of my discussion with J.D. and Yolanda, I go into how I came up with a solution to the problem that actually has thematic elements to the film overall. But first, I address an aspect of the shoot that has been a bane to this production and frequently discussed here on the podcast, the infamous TV shot. For context, here's a clip from my conversation with Still Motion and Muse Storytelling founder and Emmy Award-winning filmmaker Patrick Moreau from earlier in the season. There's one particular shot that I want to do. There's a part of me that doesn't even want to say it, because if I say it and I put it on air, that means... If it's not in the film, people are going to know that I didn't do it. So it's the shot where the the girl playing my daughter at the time is looking at a giant television screen of Chris Rock's documentary. So it's meant to be sort of like this 
dreamlike representation of her watching this movie and having it be this huge thing in her life. Just having trouble finding the location and finding the time and is it worth even trying to get it? Because sometimes we get so focused on the problem that we lose sight of the goal, right? So it's oh, like, like you're, you're trying to create this really large screen um, and you're having, you know, the production challenges of how do I actually do this? But it feels like the goal is to come up with a physical representation of how much this moment affected her life. So there's the part in the the point in the film where she talks about watching Chris Rock's um, documentary Good Hair, which was the movie that prompted this whole discussion in the first place, and mm-hmm. I mean prompted me making this project in the first place, and so because that was such a profound uh, moment and experience, um, I really wanted to for highlight who? it for her or for you for both for her because it's just what she gleaned when she watched it, but for me because. It was her watching that that made me want to do this and her response to that that made me want to do Mixed in America in the first place. And so so since watching that film was such a big deal, I wanted to kind of make it a big deal visually in the piece by having this shot of her looking up at this huge, giant television screen. And then eventually just kind of deciding, you know, based on my conversation with you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to... St- uh, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to push this off anymore by trying to get the shot. Like, let me just use some other creative means, especially since the reference to it is really only a few seconds. Um, and what right. is going to be? And like, I thought, I thought that one of, the, I remember listening to one of the podcasts you had, and you had a guy on, um, and, and you were touching the subject. And I, I don't know if it was the Style podcast, but somebody. Mm-hmm. Really, really insightful cat was talking to you about it. And he said, you know, well, even though you're not getting the shot the way you want it, try to shoot it. You know, don't don't put it off because you don't have this particular equipment or the whatever room or TV. He said, just try to shoot it the way, you know, and with those limitations, you'll probably come up with something that you like. And I think that that was really good sound advice for you. Like you, you should have just like if you get in that situation in the future, just try to shoot something. If you, you know, you, you know, if you can't get the military tank and the helicopters and a crane or whatever, just shoot it the way that kind of represents what you're going for. And I think you might find that you'll you'll come up with something that's not what you envision, not perfect, not what you really, really wanted, but something that will get the job done. And you might be impressed with what you come up with. Well, yeah, and it, it sounds like you're referencing my conversation with Patrick Moreau from Still Motion. And he was saying, you know, instead of – because originally my idea was to, like, shoot her against a green screen or something that I could key out. And then mm-hmm. and then I would key in, like, a giant wall that I could key out. Yeah. And then I would key in the television to make it look like she's looking at this giant television screen. And he said, you know, well, try – just shooting a low angle, wide angle, a low angle with a wide angle lens on a TV and whatnot. In this particular case, it still involved me getting that girl again and her mom and right, and right. finding a, a TV, even a TV that would be big enough. It was still more logistics required in getting it. Right. Which is why I just said, you know, I just want to get, I just want to get it done. Right. Like, like the conversation right. you and I had, and use what I and use what I have. But right, right. But you know. So, but now the issue, which is a little bit bigger than just that one shot, is there's this whole section of the piece where you know she's talking about you know how she feels when she she when she sees um, dark skinned girls, like some of my black friends that like they say that they want their skin to be lighter, 
I think dark skin is just really, like, it's so pretty. Their skin is very smooth, and a lot of black girls I know, they don't have any acne at all, and I have it pretty bad. How she feels when she sees someone else that looks like her and feeling like she belongs. Right, um, right. Internally, I get very excited when I see other girls who look like me, you know, because I don't see a whole lot in my day-to-day life. So if I do see one, I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's like me. And I get excited. So it's just, it's like 90 seconds of stuff that I don't really have great B-roll for. Like, I don't have, like, again, the original plan was to use her friends at the time to be in these scenes. So now I don't have any scenes of, you know, dark-skinned girls and other mixed girls with curly hair. So in order to kind of fill that gap, so part of my idea has been... I kind of came up with this concept of how to kind of deal with the whole. Well, I have a question. I have a yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you're saying, you. I keep hearing you saying that B-roll will be difficult, but I, I don't know. I mean, well, I don't know that? any. I don't. I don't have any people who I can go to play those scenes. But do you have? But like at church, do you have people? Like, do you still regularly go to church? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, I've thought about that. Yeah, going up to some of the girls. Yes, I could do that. But again. But that's my point. That's what's making this thing take longer because now – because these are strangers to me. Like so – My question is are you married to moving images because kind of what you have for the filler right now works for me. Yeah. But those those still images that – those are perfect and and it's not that kind of – that kind of media is not something that is, you know, atypical of a documentary type piece. I know, and I guess, I know, maybe that's still part of my problem. Maybe I'm still fighting against this. Like, like Ron, let me follow up on that, because yeah, I, yeah. I, I totally agree with Yolanda. Like, when I, I thought that that was, like, let me ask you this question. Those girls that you do use in the piece right now, is that just, like, filler B-roll that you got from some uh, image site? No, no, actually, so the video filler that I have is from... Uh, I know a client video, a client of mine called Girls for a Change is this organization in California that helps empower teen girls to make changes in their community. And right. so, um, so I have, so I just pulled like pulled one of the old videos. They had you know girls of color um, there, and then that and Tasha, looked, Tasha did work with that, right? Wasn't right, it? right. And so yeah. all those photos you see are from when Tasha was a um, a photographer, and she did teen photos. And we focus on teen girls. And so I pulled photos and video of some of the African-American girls that she took photos of. Yeah. So that was the filler that I used. I, I thought all that stuff was perfect. I, I, I mean, it worked. And I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree with what Yolanda said. I thought that that I, I was confused when you sent the note because I'm like, well, I don't understand why he thinks this will be hard to get or what. I, I was just kind of lost because it felt like it kind of. Well, there's that one section where it's mark. All, that one section, there's a one long string of the same girl. So I wouldn't do that anyway. So, but here's the idea I have. Well, let me, first of all, let me address the point about, you know, are you married to um, the moving image? Because, you know, Yolanda, you had made the comment that, you know, it's not uncommon to have, you know, photos in a documentary. And you're absolutely right. And I think there's a part of me that's still fighting against making this feel or look like a traditional documentary. And I don't, that might just have to be something I just get over at this point. Because from the very beginning, I, I always wanted this to, to look and feel like something that was scripted. Um, did you guys ever see that 
documentary, um, The Stories We Tell. So Sarah Polly's filmmaker, I think she's yeah, a comedian. Yeah. I've heard about it, but, but go ahead. Yeah, so it's what she did with that movie is essentially what my concept for this was. Only I came up with the idea years before she did hers. Not, I mean, I'm not saying it's that original. I'm just saying what she did with that was essentially kind of what I had in mind for this, where, you know, that that documentary was about her discovering and finding her biological dad. When you're in the middle of a story, it isn't a story at all, but only a confusion, a dark roaring, a blindness. It's only afterwards that it becomes anything like a story when you're telling it to yourself or to someone else. Dad, can you just go back over that one line? I was being so real. And so she goes out and she finds her biological dad, and it's about retelling the stories of when um, she was a little girl and when her mom um, left her biological dad and went with her um, adoptive dad. And most of the documentary are reenactments shot with real Super 8 cameras, but they look like original footage. Right. I remember that because I think one of the parents passed away or something while she was making it or right after, right? In the biological... I don't don't remember, but... I remember it was like a couple years ago. She got a lot of press. It was like... Oh, yeah. I think it was even... I think it was even nominated for Best Documentary. um, Yeah. I think you're right. Yep. Um, But... You know, one of the things that was so groundbreaking about it was because it was actually a mix of real Super 8 and, I mean, it was all real Super 8, but it was a mix of actual Super 8 from the time period and reenactments that she shot for this film. Um, And the actors she got to play her parents and mothers and whatnot looked so much like the real ones. Like, you would have to be a trained filmmaker, because some of the scenes, if you're a filmmaker, you would get, well... How did they get a you know how did they get a home movie shot of this like the way you would cut the way she would cut back and forth between a two shot or something to a trained eye you could tell that this was staged versus you know something that was actual home movie but it was so realistic looking and that was kind of like the concept that I had for mixed America in general but particularly this segment or this installment where everything you saw in it would be uh, a combination of reenactments, you know, someone playing, well, at the time it was going to be Imani playing herself because she was still young, but it would still be reenactments of these stories that she was telling combined with some of the footage that you do see in this version that I have of her when she was like six and eight and whatnot. And so since that was like my original vision, every time I think about the possibility of, making it more traditional with like photos like you were saying yo there's a part of me that kind of fights that have you ever had a vision for a project in mind and with an ahab-like stubbornness you pursue that vision with almost reckless abandon regardless of what the consequences it may have on the overall success or even completion of the project i think sometimes artists filmmakers in particular, get that way. You feel like a sellout if you do anything less than however you imagine your opus. You must get your white whale. Fortunately, Yolanda reminds me that there is something often more important than realizing your vision exactly as you envisioned it. 
as I told you, I've been catching up on the podcast. So I've been listening to what you've been talking about, particularly the, the episode about the gap. I can very much understand and empathize with, you know, the angst and lamenting about not uh, achieving your original intent. And I think what goes to that is because we get, get so much inspiration for initially to start out on something. Right. You know, part of what is, you know, the burning fire that makes you want to make that is particular to how you envision it in your mind and the ideas that you have about it. And so when those things right. don't work, it's like, well, that is what made me want to do this. It's, it's, it's inherent in what I was trying to do. And now I can't get it. And it's, it's, and so now the entire project is quote unquote less than what I wanted it to be. Right. So I, I can empathize with that. And that's, that's something that's, I don't know how to transcend that. Except to say that I think the piece in general, the larger inspiration for you, I think certainly, you, you know, and we talked about it earlier just now is the impetus or part of it was, you know, Imani's reaction to mm-hmm. watching Chris Rock's documentary about good hair. And so what led you to want to do this was far bigger than the techniques that you decided you want to use to do it. And so I think you need to revisit the why I wanted to do this Tin Man. See, I've been listening to all your... <laughs> I've been listening to <laughs> yeah. all the podcast recently. So, right, right. you know, maybe you need to, you know, take a moment of reflection and really dig and understand why you want to make this piece in the first place and uncouple yourself from this technique and start thinking about some other really cool idea to, of an approach that you want to apply to it. Great comment. You, uh, you could drop the microphone on that one. That was, I wrote down in my notes, the why is bigger than the how. And I think you're right. Like even after that episode, our friend Patrick Healy, who uh, has left us a voicemail or two, probably your biggest fan on the show, he had commented um, when he left the voicemail saying how the, the teaser trailer that he saw was like enough for him. Like the look on her face was, that was the shot you needed. And I saw... Uh, one of those one-minute teasers uh, for your <clears throat> for uh, Mix in America, and I want to see it. I want to see it. And I'm speaking about shots and the gap and all that stuff. And then the shot of 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 uh, your daughter, the 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 beautiful innocence just in her eyes. There's your shot, man. That's it. You have one. You have it. Go, go make the movie. I want to see it. People are getting more out of the little bit I have that I guess maybe I'm getting out of it or maybe because definitely, as, definitely. as an artist, artists are usually more harder on themselves in terms of how they look at their art. And so like just hearing your comments and hearing Patrick's comments, Patrick Healy, not Patrick Moreau's comment about the about the teaser trailer and then some of the other feedback I've gotten from people who I sent the draft to have responded very strongly to what I already have, regardless of whatever I was trying to do, or whatever, regardless of what I originally wanted to do. Yeah, right. What's happening is you're getting stuck because the visual that you are ending up with does not match the visual that you had in your head, and I totally get that. Yeah. I kind of liken it to screenwriting, like mm. versus television writing. Right. And I think that, like, when you write a a, a feature, 
you have to make sure that you get everything just right and tell the story completely so that everybody gets and understands what you're going after. And I feel like that's what you're trying to do with this first uh, episode of Mixed in America. But I would say that it, because this, this is going to be a series and it's going to be ongoing, one of the the benefits of television is that you don't have to hit everything you don't have to to wrap the whole world up nice and tight in a bow for the audience because you know you've got 23 other episodes to explore things and to and to get closer to the technique that you might be after and i would say like if you you know uh, if you look at it you you probably would go into this project saying i might not be able to get 100% of everything the uh, of capturing everything the way i want it and you might have in this first iteration only gotten Five percent of what you wanted, mm-hmm. but if, but if you but if you just if if you hinder yourself from moving forward to the next one, where you can maybe get fifteen percent or thirty percent or fifty percent, you're you're still stuck on this one where you're feeling like oh I only got ten percent of what I wanted. Right, right. I, I'm just saying like you know move past it, push past, get, say what you need to say about it, and move past that because then in the next episode you'll know that okay no matter what I need to get all the footage. I you'll learn you've learned from the mistakes that you made on this first one, and 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 I say <laughs> mistakes guardedly because they're not really mistakes. It's just right, right. The limitations that you had have forced you to do it a certain way but they're not necessarily mistakes because like you know we're talking here you people are inspired and engaged in what you've presented so far so it's not like and again because it is subjective there's no right or wrong it's like this is what you're able to present on the first one the second one you'll be able to get a little bit closer to the mark and you'll be able to to close that gap and so then by the time you get to your third or fourth one you'll be pretty close to getting what you want or know what your limitations are and restructuring your thought process for for how you're going to go about doing everything and it'll evolve you know the creativity of it will evolve as well so it's like okay i know in the, in the next one and the next one you're going to do more of the things that you want to do and you have the opportunity but it's it, you know you don't you, but right now you're kind of stuck in a rut on this first one and it because it, to me it almost felt complete like you know looking at it listening to it it's like, oh this is interesting i mean i do have some comments to help you know you know even with this this first iteration but right. it feels very close to me like it doesn't feel like oh man he needs to rethink this whole thing it's like no you, this is your first one Move on to the next one. It'll get much closer, I think, to what you want based on just the uh, the, the failures that you perceive and, mm-hmm. and the things that you want to change and the creativity that you want to bring to it. I'm sure you'll 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 make you'll you'll take different steps on the next one, and and, and the the benefit of that is that you're you're continually adding content. You're continually uh, 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 building to this you know to to the project. Instead of wallowing on this first one, right for for years, you know, <laughs> right, right. No, I think those are great points, and so I want to share the idea that I had in terms of uh, solving this issue of one finding B roll to kind of fill that gap, but two also coming up with a a thematic um, t- uh, uh, treatment if you will so a theme that has seemed to be bubbling to the top is the role of media you know the role that media plays in um what we consider to be beautiful like you said light skin versus dark skin and whatnot but also specifically the role of media in imani's life as it relates to how she looks at her life as a a person of color in this world and, you know, media being the thing that 
prompted this whole discussion in the movie, you know, this being a movie. And so the idea I came up with using the theme of media um, throughout the piece, you know, it was a movie that prompted her revelation using for the B-roll scenes where she's talking about looking at other, you know, people of color who are dark skin or seeing other mixed um, girls who have curly hair like her using a combination of movie clips and news clips and, you know, stuff, you know, created from YouTube or whatnot of people that kind of fit that mold. And then, yes. and then giving filters and color grades throughout the whole piece to kind of go with it so that it's really, there's this meta element that we'll be playing where you have the role of media playing on how we see ourselves in this country, but specifically, you know, how, you know, Imani sees, her, sees herself or how she discovered herself. And then just kind of using that subconscious meta thematic level of media and then and just using that to kind of like fill those gaps. Well, I, I would that? say I, I think that's too much. I think that only because I, I like that idea and I think you should say that I, to me, that's enough for a whole nother episode. I think what you have with you – and you could re, repurpose some of the content you have from this short. But but I would say still try to – I think there's, there's going to be something uh, very valuable for you to, to glean hmm. from just finishing this. <laughs> no, no, no. I, how, how long is – how – like what we saw, the rough cut that we saw, is that a, the fully fleshed out – first episode or is yes. that just a portion of it no that's the first like each episode we're talking like 10, ten minutes yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was fine i thought it was perfect yeah, yeah, yeah i wouldn't cut it like you asked about cutting it i think what what i, I was engaged the whole time but okay. I, I but i would say this like if you're having a whole series on mixed in america mm-hmm. all these themes that are starting to bubble up now that you didn't even realize were there i would try to make episodes out of all those because those are you know I wouldn't try to cram too much into you don't have two hours. No, know? I know. And so just to be clear, I think sometimes when you describe something, it makes it sound more than it is. So, you know, my idea of using the media pieces is one, first and foremost, is just so I have B-roll. Like, I don't have B-roll to fill that. Yeah. And I don't want to use the same girl. Like, in the current draft, I use the same girl throughout the entire Almost throughout the entire minute long section where she's right. talking and about you right. wanna you probably wanna get more mixed girls that have curly hair like your mom. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. Right, right. Yep. Um so my additional commentary about media and the theme and everything makes it sound more bloated, I think, than it is. I'm just saying for the for the for the the minute and a half where she's talking about you know how she feels when she sees dark skinned girls and how she thinks their skin is so beautiful and whatnot using images of dark skin, you know, dark skin sisters that I get from YouTube that could be movie clips or it could be television clips or it could be, you know, what whatever that kind of connect to what she's saying about how she feels, which, you know, she is going to, see, I mean, she does see dark skin girls on TV in the movie so that it would, it would stand a reason that while she's talking about seeing it, showing the kind of things she would see makes sense. And so, um, and my, that the whole the whole comment about the media just says, from an artistic standpoint, it kind of fits with other things that we've seen in the film, so it doesn't feel so it doesn't feel random. I guess is what I'm saying. Like, like why are these yeah, random yeah. shots of black 
stars and whatnot in the video, oh, there's this whole kind of undercurrent of media and how we see people of color in media. Yeah. And I was just saying, I just, my, my, my fear would be just not to belabor it. Sure. So that, right. So that, you know, nine months from now, you're like, well, I didn't get the exact media that I wanted, similar to the TV shot. And I mean, then you, it's yeah, a whole yeah, other no, rigmarole no, no. of something that's well, no, kind of, I, yeah, no, I, holding you back. No, I mean, and it's actually it's just the opposite. I mean, the whole idea of using these media shots actually makes it easier because then. Cool, yeah, then, you're perfect and perfect. I know where to go. Go with yeah. it. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. What started out as an innocent conversation between a father and his 15-year-old daughter in a Buford, Georgia McDonald's has ballooned into a five-year journey to make an 11-minute short film and a multi-part podcast miniseries on the making of that film. Now, the film and the miniseries are complete. I would love it if you take a look at the film and tell me what you think. You can find it at daredreamer.fm slash mixed, that's spelled M-I-X-E-D, password is sunshine. After watching it, take a couple of minutes to fill out the survey. It would really mean a lot to me. No, no, so one part of the Mixed America journey is completed. Now what? How do I get it out there? Do I submit it to festivals? Do I just put it online? It would seem there is still some more ground to cover and podcast fodder to uh, um, fod. I don't know, is that a word? Anyway, now that Shooting Sunshine is over, let's transition to the sequel, Selling Sunshine. Stay tuned for future episodes and how you go about taking a film like this and you get it out there. How do you sell a series? Which just happens to align perfectly with another story we will be covering on the show. What have been some of the biggest challenges you guys have had in the making of these? Oh, it could be anything. I mean, it could be production challenges. It could be logistical. I mean, and there, are there any specific stories that come to mind when you think about them? It's not challenges, plural. <laughs> of course, every single episode has great challenges, but that's production. Everything you do has challenges. Uh, and we, you know, you overcome those and you create the best content you can. The challenge is the funding, is making them sustainably. Um, that is the overarching thing where it's like okay so do we do kickstarter and we evaluate that model and we look at what that story would be and what people can buy into and what do they get and then we look at you know sponsorship and going out and how do we pitch that and we look at networks and like it's it's all coming back to uh the funding you know the 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 manufacturing of the episodes and getting people on board reaching out to really interesting high profile people in on a short time frame and having 24 hours to get in there and develop the story and shoot it and then get back and having just a couple days to post it and like none of that um, has stopped us. The only thing is this can't be a volunteer thing, not sustainably. We all put companies like Still Motion on a pedestal and think they have the golden touch. They've done all these amazing things, they've won Emmys, they've taught all over the world. Surely they can do anything. Well, companies like Still Motion run into challenges. They're made up of people just like me and you. And they've agreed to let us tell the story of their film series, The Remarkable Ones. And you'll be surprised at what you'll learn. For now, I'm calling it Making It Remarkable, the production and making of an online film series. Stay tuned and subscribe to the podcast to follow their progress. You'll be inspired and you'll learn a ton. 
Remember, stay tuned past the credits for a funny bonus segment. Radio Film School is a production of Dare Tour FM. This episode was written and produced by me, Chris Huslidge, as our co-producer. Radio Film School is a proud member of the Podcastica Network. Think of it as a, any label of pop culture podcasts with shows like The Walking Dead cast, The Sci-Fi Podcast, and Under the Comic Covers. Those shows and more can be found at podcastica.com. Music for this episode was curated from freemusicarchive.org. Links to tracks are on the show notes. And speaking of music, we're also supported by Song Freedom. When you need to license popular music for legal use in your video productions, or if you need to find amazing tunes that span genres, look no further than songfreedom.com slash radio. Sign up for a new account and you'll get a free standard goal level license worth $30. We thank Song Freedom again for their support. And remember, when you visit and support our sponsors, you support the show. Another huge way you can support the show is leaving a rating and review in iTunes. It really does help the show out immensely and costs you zero. You can follow me on Twitter at FM, and you can follow the show at Radio Film School. That's it for this week. Remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. Hey, Ron. You there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Smack, yeah, I hear you smacking once again. Not smacking. Are you not eating something right now? Well, I was finishing up a bite. <laughs> <laughs> I was finishing up a bite. I wasn't smacking. Mm-hmm. I hear. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, that was also apple-related. It was applesauce. No pork chops, though. I see what you did there. You get it? Yeah, mm-hmm. Do you get that one, yo? I did. Yes, thank you. What was the reference? To the time you were eating that apple. No, but what's the joke reference? It was a pop culture TV reference I just made. Oh, I don't. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't follow. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. Pork chops and applesauce. Oh, that sounds familiar, but sorry, I still don't get it. It's the Brady Bunch episode where... Peter Brady was trying to find an identity, so he kept trying on different personalities, and that's when he was trying Humphrey Bogart. Come on, yo. Don't you know these references? What's wrong with you? (laughs) And Alice had made pork chops and applesauce for dinner, and so Peter was going around saying, (laughs) we're having pork chops and applesauce. What would possess somebody to make pork chops and applesauce? (laughs) Actually, that's a good question. As a kid, I never questioned it but yeah it's pork chops and mashed potatoes sounds a lot right that's, that's a lack of diversity in the work, writer's room <laughs> that's right <laughs> alice should be making pork chops and some greens up in there alice with these greens alice uh yeah okay so hold on see i lost my train of thought what is smithers <laughs> what is the name Flanders. Flanders. That was a straight Flanders. No, no, no not Flanders. Not uh, Flanders. Uh, what's Smithers' uh, friend on The Simpsons? No, it's Smithers. It's just, that's Mr. A Burns, yeah, Burns. Smithers. Burns. Yeah, that was a straight yeah. Smithers moment right there. Like, ah, <laughs> for the love of God, sir. <laughs> there's, there's room for one there's more. Two seats. There's two seats.
What's that from? That's from The Simpsons. No, I know that. I don't. When the world was when there's some apocalyptic thing going down and. Smithers had like I mean, uh, Mr. Burns had an escape pod or a spaceship, <laughs> okay. and Smithers was trying to get in. <laughs> and there's room in there, and Burns locked the door on him, and he's like, "For the love of God, sir, there's two seats." <laughs> and Burns is like, "I like to put my feet up." That's right. Uh, we're off to a great start. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression. Hmm? Ah. Oh. Podcast to go.